Cliff. Cliff was reading my mind. I was thinking, I would just come over here, and then I'll come over here. Well, thank you. Thank you, Cliff. I honestly was fixing to say, if, you, if you're not settled and you don't have a bunch of purses and stuff, which I guess you left your purse at home, um, could you move to the middle? <laughs> hey, you're great. You guys are awesome. Uh, <laughs> he's like, that's the last time I do that. Okay, here, um, if you don't have one of these, this just tells about our discipleship that starts in two weeks. This, is the, this will be the backbone of this church. You hear me? The discipleship training will be the backbone of our church. It will be how we facilitate all the gifts, all the talents, all the anointing that God has given us into operation in our lives. Discipleship is not, to make, is not only to make the church healthier. Discipleship is for your health, is for your strength. Discipleship is not so that this church is here in 40 years like it's been here for 40 and say, look, we're still, we still made it because we, we have new people. We say people get saved, people get healed, delivered. It's so that your family legacy 40 years from now can say, look, this is what we do in our family. This is how we live. I love, I love what Stephen and uh, their kids, the Gauthiers, um, I guess they told us, tell the story of Trin, their daughter. They woke up on a Sunday morning and they were getting ready for church and she just said, have we ever not gone to church on a Sunday? And I was like, that is the question of a family that has, that just has, that's legacy. That's just what they do on Sunday. We go to, we go to church. That's just part of it. Now, legacy, um, that's part of it. But what we really want to do, and, I, and again, I feel like this is a strength, and I feel like the Lord has been preparing me for the last two years for, for this discipleship, on how to equip people for legacy for four generations. I really mean that. So that my great-grandchildren. My great-grandfather planted churches around North Texas. That's what he did. He was a church planner. He was a, a musician, a radio guy. He was preached on the radio. He would go to cities and he would take out his guitar and he would stand on the street corner and he would lead worship and, and see people healed and delivered right on the street corner. That's my legacy. That's my great-grandfather. And, and I'm still doing, other than going on the street corners and singing, because uh, I can't play guitar as well as he could. <sighs> Maybe that doesn't matter, huh? Uh, but I'm still doing what he did. I'm still, I still have the patterns uh, that he had. My papa would get up first thing on the mor- every morning. He would pray and spend time with the Lord. Then Sundays for church, he'd be the first one here. He'd, he'd walk the, the property and my dad did it, and here I am generations later, and it's just a pattern. It's just what I do. It doesn't change. And we were having a conversation at our house the other night with some people over just talking. We really didn't have an agenda, and we just began to talk about church and leadership. And, and I thought, you know, I don't care if I'm preaching, if I'm playing drums, I'm singing, if I'm teaching a class. My routine doesn't change. I get here. I want to be the first one here. I want to make sure it's cool. I want to make sure that everything's good. But I also want to anoint every door and every seat, and I want to pray. It's just my pattern. It doesn't change. It doesn't change whether I'm on on the on the cue sheet or not. It doesn't matter. It's just a pattern. And why am I saying that? Because I didn't cultivate that in me. I didn't make that happen. Somebody else made it happen. My dad helped continue it. But someone helped him to do it. And my papa continued it, but someone helped him. That's what discipleship is. It is for your children's children. It's for generations to come. It says that God will, will save up to a thousand generations of those who fear his name. Can you think of a thousand generations? <laughs> it's what his word says. And so when we say discipleship, it's generational. It's more legacy. And so when I say this is important, I can't say it's important enough. I can't talk about it enough. So um, be here. It starts October um, the 4th, the first Sunday, and we'll just go for it. Everything you need to know is in the flyer. We'd love for you to sign up. That way, if we have papers to hand out and some contact information, we'd love to be able to, to contact you and um, just go for it. Right. Uh, I, I know we mentioned this earlier, but I want to make sure we hit it again. Next Sunday, we're, we're, we're taking up our final offering for Kyle and Sarah for the worship uh, that they do and the way they lead us here. So if you want to bring a gift, just remember that's next Sunday. And that's it for the commercials. Well, Lord, we love you.
<laughs> and today we have, we have meditated on you. We have thought about your wonders. We've thought about your faithfulness. We have sung songs to you. <clears throat> and our hearts are turned towards you even now. And Father, we ask you that the anointing of the Lord would be here. That your anointing would come and heal to bind up and to loosen, to break bondage, Father. We ask that your anointing would be here. We pray that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may all know you better. Would you say that with me, Father? I ask you to give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation that I may know you better. If you want to open uh, your Bible, we'll have a few different places we're going to go to, but we're going to start in John chapter 8 and Romans 12. So it's John 8 and Romans 12 is where we'll be going. My, my heart today, again, is not to preach a message or teach a lesson. I, it's funny, we kind of joke, I'm a teacher. It's what I do. I teach when I'm coaching soccer. I teach when I'm at the school. I t I, everywhere I go, I, I look for ways to teach. I, I don't even think about it. I just teach. But I don't want to teach and I don't want to preach today. I honestly want to equip you. I honestly, I feel with all my heart that the cycles, anyone ever go through cycles and seasons of life? How many have ever noticed that some of them kind of tend to repeat themselves? I fully believe with my entire being that today can break every cycle of, of bondage, every cycle of getting stuck, every cycle of being stuck in a rut of hopelessness. I know with all of my heart that if we will do what the Lord tells us today in this message, it will break shackles and break chains, and it will create a new cycle in our life. I mean it with my whole heart. I mean it. See, the enemy's cycle is deterioration. The enemy's cycle is depreciation. Something starts out with a certain value and he steals that value over time. That's the cycle of the enemy. The enemy likes to come into our families that has a set value and he wants to, by any means possible, deteriorate and depreciate the value of our family standard. But the kingdom is about appreciation and interest and above and beyond what, you've, what, you, what the bottom line started as. If you sow into the kingdom, you get 30, 60, and 100 fold. So the enemy comes to steal, kill, destroy and to depreciate the value of your legacy, the value of the gifts in your life, the value of your calling. He just wants to depreciate it. He doesn't care so much that he completely steals it from you, but he cares most that he causes it to lose its value to you. Because if, you, if it loses its value to you, you will abandon it on your own. But if it's a kingdom cycle, you, it appreciates, it increases in value. And I don't know about you, but things that increase in value are things we want to hold on to. And so when things have value and their value increases, we do everything we can to protect the value of that thing. So what is the cure to this? It is the renewed mind. It is a new way of thinking. When Jesus came preaching, and as a matter of fact, John the Baptist, before Jesus even came, he preached the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I know you've heard probably a thousand messages on the word repent, probably. Repent, repent. It means to turn, but it also really means to change the way you think. The enemy's cycle and the enemy's tactics are to sow into our thinking decay of thought that causes depreciation. Please hear me. How many have ever heard of Satan's name is actually Beelzebub? Beelzebub has a devil for <laughs> Do you know what Beelzebub means? Lord of the Flies. You ever read that book in school, The Lord of the Flies? I mean, literally, the Lord of the Flies was Beelzebub. That is Satan. What does that mean? He is attracted to decay. He loves decay. 
And what he tries to do is to cause depreciation in anything in our life. He likes to sow thoughts that are depreciating thoughts, that are dismissive thoughts, that are thoughts that say, well, that's not really important. When I say something like, well, that's really not important, that is a depreciating thought. When I say it's not important for me every day to make sure that my wife knows that I love her, well, it's okay. I don't have to to go that far today and make sure she really knows. That's a depreciating thought. And over time, that depreciating thought of me not valuing what's really increasing in value, I I will devalue my relationship and it will crumble. And the enemy, the Lord of the flies, will be attracted to that and will build up a stronghold. Oh, it's, really, it's not important for me to read the word today. That's a depreciating thought. Here's a depreciating thought, too, that's sneaky. I don't have time to, to do that today. I, I don't have time to read the word. I don't have time to pray today. It, that may be true. You may look at your calendar and say, I, really, I just don't have time to get away. I don't have time. That is a depreciating thought. Because what I'm doing is I have bought a lie somewhere where I am now sowing into depreciating things instead of appreciating things. We set our minds on eternal things, not temporary things. What is seen is temporary. It doesn't take away the value of stewarding our lives. It just means that I have to add or, or subtract things that add or subtract to my life. Everyone's still with me. In John chapter 5, there's a story of a demon-possessed man. And the Bible says that he was so rowdy and so ridiculous that they would bind him with chains because they were fearful that he would hurt himself. It wasn't so much that they were afraid that he would hurt them, but they were really afraid that he was going to wound himself and hurt himself. And so they would take him and they would bind him with chains. And he would literally break the chains that they would put on him. Now, I want you to take the, the, the irony of the story. This man is completely bound in his spirit, yet nothing externally could bind him. What, we, what happens when we have depreciating thought is things that are put, off, put on us or added to us externally to govern us we break off those things as if they're religious bondage and chains. Yet internally, we're completely bound. Listen to me. Outwardly, oh, I, that's religious. I don't have to pray every day. I don't have to read my word every day. I don't need to be at church. I, I don't need to pray in tongues. I, I don't need, we break off these chains. They feel like chains. They're not. They're guideposts. They're, they're, they help us. Because we want to show how free, you know, I'm free, nothing can bind me. Yet internally we're completely bound and have no authority over ourselves. It's where there is no vision, the people cast off restraints. And I saw that, and I heard this, I heard this story, thinking of this story again, how this man was completely free, breaking chains off, man. He was the most free person around, yet he couldn't even control his own body. And I thought of the church and I thought of many of us that that we say, well, I don't need this and I don't need that. And it's a new day and that's old time religion and that's old school and that's not necessary. We're under grace. Absolutely true. We are under grace and grace because of its appreciating value has a higher standard than the law. Because grace is so precious and valuable, we guard it differently than when we guarded things under the law. The law the enemy took opportunity in the law to sow depreciation into the law. Because he saw that the law was weak. Because it could not completely do what, he, what Jesus came to completely do. So the Bible even says in Hebrews, it says, seizing the opportunity, he took the, and in Romans, he took the things that were, were meant for our good and he sowed into it where now I see two laws at work within me. Romans 7, I, I don't do the good that I want to do, but I find another law at work within me where I do the bad I don't want to do. Who will save me from this body of death? And then it says, thanks be to Jesus Christ. And then it goes right to Romans 8, 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life 
has set me free from the law of sin and death. What is he saying there? Under my depreciating thought, everything in my life was subject to decay and to destruction. But under this new law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, everything in my life starts here and only increases in value. The key to all of it is the mind of Christ, is a renewed mind. Amen? I really need to just dig in this. I I know this is right. I know this is true. I know that if we think differently, if we think like Him, it will absolutely transform every part of our being. Romans 12 tells us that. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be, say it loud, be transformed. By what? The renewing of your mind. It starts with thinking. I love this, this quote. I don't know who said it. I have no idea. I don't know where it came from, but I've heard it many times. And it says, do the best you know how. And when you know better, do better. <laughs> do the best you know how. And then when you know better, do better. This is not a works thing. The renewed mind is not something that you and I or you, we, that we can attain through trying, through striving, through fighting. It can only come through surrender and obedience to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen? Grace is that empowering presence of God that elevates things from one place of glory to another place of glory. Do you see in the the parallels, the picture, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, and bring depreciation to our family, to our marriage, to our, our workplace, to the gift of prophecy we have, fill in the blank. He comes to depreciate those things. But Jesus came to give abundant life. How's he do that? He puts grace upon us that empowers us to rise from glory to glory to glory. He literally empowers us to think about things the way he thinks about them. I'm talking about thinking like Jesus. The man who has 5,000 men in front of him that are hungry and need to be fed. And he says, well, what do you guys have? And they're like, well, all we've got is this little boy's lunch. It's only five loaves of bread and two fish. And he's like, that's enough. That is not the way we think. But he thinks in appreciating value. We think five loaves and two fish, that's not enough to feed Grant. That's an appetizer for Grant. (laughs) We eat that. It goes away. Not with Jesus. Five loaves and two fish. Oh, we can feed 5,000 men and their wives and their children. And we'll have 12 baskets left over at the end. That's what that happens in the mind of Christ. (laughs) They're worried how they're going to pay their taxes. And in Jesus' mind, simple. Why don't you go fishing? They catch a fish and there's money in the fish's mouth. And he's like, great. There's enough for you to pay your taxes and while you're at it, pay mine too. So Jesus even paid his taxes. <laughs> what, what made this man, the son of God, the son of man, what caused him to think differently? He had no depreciating thought in his head, ever. The enemy had no stronghold in his mind that ever caused him to doubt or to think less. He could only think increase. He thought that way so much that when he spoke of us and when people were in awe of the miracles and the gifts and the signs and wonders he would perform, he would look at them and say, you think these things are awesome? You're going to do these things and even greater things. Everything about him was increase, appreciation, glory to glory. This is the opposite. How do we get into that? It's the mind of Christ. It's the mind of Christ. This is something that we have to be, what's the word? Vigilant about. Like any time, I mean this, in our homes, we should hold each other accountable in our language. 
when I say, oh, that's, that's just not necessary. That's not needed today. I may not even mean it, but my, my phrasing will reveal really what's in the heart. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if I say, oh, it's, it's just prayer on Wednesday night. I, I'm too busy. I'm tired this week. And I'm just using an example for me. Because there are we, every, uh, almost every other week we try to trade. Because we do a lot of things. So Mandy will come to one, I'll come to the other. And sometimes we come to both, but not very often. And I know it's really easy sometimes for me to think, man, I've, I've been at the church already today. I've already been up there praying. I was up there and no one else, I, I've been here. It's, it's just prayer. I've, I've already done this. That's depreciating thought. It's, am I telling the truth? I, like I just left here three hours ago. Why do I need to go back? It's depreciating thought. And the Lord wants to take us to elevate our thinking. No, this is not insignificant. Oh, I'm, I'm too tired to tuck my kids in bed tonight and pray over them like I like to do. That's depreciating thought. The moment, the moment I feel that thing, I know there's something attacking my legacy. And here's how you know it's demonic. So the enemy can sow thoughts. He tries to sow thoughts in our head. And it's our job to take captive every thought and either take it and apprehend it and say, that's from you, God, and I'm going to hide it in my heart. Or to say, that is not from you, God. I am throwing this away. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So the enemy can sow these thoughts. But here's how you know we've come under the influence of his thinking is when now I have a desire to do the thought. That means it's a demonic attack. So whenever I'm, use my example, I'm too tired to go to prayer tonight. It may be completely true. I'm too tired to tuck my kids in and spend time over them and pray and prophesy over them. I say some of the same prayers over my kids at night when I put them into bed. Some nights I'm like, I don't want to go upstairs. I don't want to go up there and put them to bed. I'm just too tired. That's depreciating thought. And then when I have a desire to just sit there and not get up, then I need to check myself. Because not only have I already entertained a thought, now that thought is, is sponsoring desire. Competing desires. Competing desires. One is depreciating and one is kingdom that increases from glory to glory. What we have to do is become vigilant, vigilant and militant. If my thought is depreciating, I have to find the source of that thought and cut it out of my life. I have to let Holy Spirit do surgery on me. I cannot allow, I cannot afford to let any depreciating thought enter into my mind. Whether it's a hopeless thought, whether it's a depressing thought, whether it's thoughts of lust or anger or temptation, fill in the blank. We cannot afford to, to, to let Jesus' sacrifice, not just for our eternal life, but he died so that we could think like him. He died so that we could have a renewed mind. So we could begin to assess for ourselves and weigh what's valuable and what's not valuable. What's appreciating and what's depreciating. Well, that thought is a depreciating thought. Well, I have got to throw that thing out of my head. I've got to replace it with a better thought. Amen? Who can know the mind of God? Who can understand Him? But we have. Say, but I have. The mind of Christ. I'm going to skip around, alright? I just want to follow exactly what I had there, but... This is, how, this is where I want to end for today. We'll, we may pick this up another time. Every sin, every sin begins with a thought. That thought left unchecked will become a stronghold. That stronghold will begin to stir up a passion to obey the thought of the depreciating thought. It's just the way it is. In, in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 
but they are divinely powerful. Why? What for? To destroy fortresses or strongholds. To destroy speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of Christ. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient unto Christ. James 1, verse 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he has been carried away and enticed by his own lust or his own desires. Then when lust or desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin has accomplished its desire, it leads to death. Always, there's the depreciation value, the decay. So here's, here's what I wanted to really hit today, alright? Let's see if I can find the right spot. When we allow thoughts to go undisciplined, those thoughts create patterns of thinking inside of us. Poverty is a pattern of thinking. It's not a curse that, that, that we step into. I mean that. Addiction is a pattern of thinking. It is not just a curse. Because it, 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 it means that I have decay of thought somewhere, and that decay of thought can only lead me into poverty. That decay of thought can only lead me into addiction. But if I have a new mindset, if I think differently, then poverty and addiction can have no hold on me because it's not part of my thinking patterns. These strongholds are actually arguments that we set up inside of ourselves. They're a safe place that we escape to. They're coping mechanisms. They're tools that we use in place of obedience and surrender to God. Why does it matter that every one of us individually win? Your win matters to me. You know that? When I win, when I win the thought battle, when I win the battle for my mind, it helps you to win. How? Why is it that there are literally places in the city that has a culture of poverty, a culture of perversion, a culture of fill-in-the-blank. How is it that uh, it's, it's almost geographic? It, it almost feels like strange. Have you, have you ever driven through a city and, and you're like, man, it really feels nice, it feels great, blah, blah, and then you drive into this other part and it has nothing to do with, with neighborhood. It's literally a spiritual stronghold over the area that causes the area to have an identity. That's Skid Row. That's, that's where all the homosexual people live and the, the perverse live. You understand what I'm saying? It's like weird. How does that happen? Individuals within that area have stronghold of thought that invites spirits to set up authority in the atmosphere. What happens is though that decay of thought they begin to partner with each other in their decay of thought, not even knowing it. That decay of thought attracts Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, the Lord of Decay. It attracts him. It attracts demonic influence to come over a region and to, to create a cultural phenomenon where people here live under this spell because they think the same way. Why does this matter? Because if you and I can win the individual battles of our own thoughts and of our own minds, if enough of us will do this and put shoulders together and arm, arm in arm and fight this thing together, we can combat the cultural forces over a region. This is how we pull down strongholds. Ephesians 6, 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might and put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the schemes, the thoughts, the patterns of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and against spiritual forces in dark places, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. This is our battle. Why am I talking about this today? Because I know and I feel that Arlington, that the Bridge Church has constantly hit that ceiling of culture. Like every time we feel like we're breaking through, we confront this cultural thing. It's invisible, but we feel it because we hit our face in it every time. And I know that we can defeat the cultural influences over the Bridge Church. I know that we can institute new patterns of thinking that have the mind of Christ infused into our family thinking that it will affect not only your family, but it will affect the the family of the Bridge Church. And then as we create this momentum of thinking like Jesus thinks in the Bridge Church, we will confront the thinking that holds our neighbors under its spell. Individually, We can have power and authority, but when we do this together, it increases our power and authority. I'm tired of feeling like we hit a ceiling at the Bridge Church. I'm tired of feeling families hit ceilings that are connected to the bridge. It's time to break through that ceiling. It's time to break through that influence. And again, if we will do this, if we will take captive our thoughts, if we will make them obedient to Christ, if we will hold ourselves accountable to the way that we think, if there's hopelessness that comes up in our thinking, we can't let it stay there. That's a lie. And if I am hopeless, I'm under the influence of a demon. The thinking of a demon is hopelessness. If we can confront these things, we can win in our families. We can win individually. We can win for our great-grandchildren. And not only that, we can win for our neighborhoods. We can win for our schools. We can win for our workplace. Because what begins to happen is one person with the mind of Christ can completely break through every, every demonic mindset that's in the culture. One person thinking can break through that. What happens when we partner together? Not only can we break through it, but we can establish a new cultural mindset. See, I'm not... It's like the story in in Matthew. It tells about the demon-possessed person, and the demon was cast out of him, and he cleaned his house, but he didn't adorn his house. He didn't decorate it. He didn't fill it with furniture. So what did the demons do? They came back, Like, man, this place is nice. Got me a new home. Thank you. Hey, and he got seven of his friends that were worse than him and came and lived in that place. Why? The man had breakthrough. He broke through the ceiling. He broke through the cultural impact and the demonic influence on his life. But that's not enough. We we have to break through and to become possessed by something greater. We have to break through. And add something to our life. It was ha- this discussion keeps coming up uh, in, in, in personal conversations. Like the rest of our life, we're going to be learning and, and balancing of what we add and what we subtract from our life. I mean, this is the truth. Every season we go through, things are going to be added. When things are added, something has to be subtracted. There's just, you only have so much time and energy. The truth. So when you and I, break through this cultural impact of the demonic, when we break through thinking that has a, that's cast a spell, now we can't just break through that thing. We have to create a new system. We have to create a new stronghold. And His name is Jesus. He is the stronghold. I don't know how many times Psalms calls Him a fortress, a shelter, a rampart, a hiding place, our anchor, Why? We break through these things and now we have to establish a new way of thinking. 
This is where accountability comes in. We, we need to tell the, tell the people closest to you, if you hear decaying thought come out of my mouth, I give you permission to correct me and say, okay, that's one way of thinking, but here's a way of thinking that's not decaying. It's kingdom. It's glory to glory. What you just said is, is depreciating. How many will make that commitment? Man, I'm, I'm going to do that. Words matter. Word, things that we say. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in our tongue. What does that mean? It means that if I put the right things in my heart and I have the mind of Christ, and when I speak those things, it can create what Jesus Christ wants to be created. If I speak something different, then I invite spiritual influences to come and build whatever they want, and we know they only want to steal, kill, destroy. So it's my language, it's my voice, it's the things that I say attracts heaven or attracts hell. And so if we're in conversation and something comes up, man, jump on it. Ask the Lord to make us more, help us, God. Let's, Lord, help us to become more aware of our language, of decaying language and appreciating language. Help us, God, to become very discerning and wise about what we say. You know, this last week, uh, last couple of weeks, Josiah has been coming home and they're having just discussions at school that actually make me angry. Make me literally angry. Talks of homosexuality and, oh, what are these new terms? I don't even know. He said something the other day. I was like, dude, I don't even know what the heck you're talking about. It's like fluid, gender fluid, some stupid, I don't know. Well, I woke up today and I feel like I like boys. And I woke up today and I feel like I like girls. I, whatever, all these. It's, it's just this weird. And I'm like, my son's 10 years old and he's pure. Yeah. And I hate anything that comes to still purity. We're, we're really protective. And so, he, you know, kids at school, they don't know anything. I, I mean, honestly, if you, if you ask a kid, is it okay to kill a baby in the womb? What will kids say? Heck no. That's evil. That's what they will say. If you ask a kid, is it, is it better for there to be a mommy and a daddy? What will kids say? Yes. Mommy and daddy is best. There, I mean, there are even people who were raised by a lesbian family or what, and they say they really wish they had a mom and a dad. That's just the way it should have been. And they were raised. That's not hateful. It's not hateful at all. And so they're having these discussions at school. And I'm like, Josiah, please listen to me. When people talk about these things, get away from them. Don't, don't get into conversation. Don't argue with them. Because what happens when we argue is we also learn the thinking of the other person. When we argue on Facebook... When we complain about thinking of other people and we get into these stupid discussions that the Bible told us to stay away from foolish arguments. Why? Because when you argue with a fool, you'll become a fool. I don't want my sons to even know the other side's argument. Oh, I need to know so that I can be better equipped to tell them. No, that's not what the Bible tells us to do. It's Romans 16, 19 and 20. It says, be excellent about what is good, but be innocent about what is evil. And then and here's the promise attached to that lifestyle. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. So what, I, what I've told Josiah, Joe could argue with him. I mean, he's my son. He had a teacher say, well, maybe Jesus made people gay so that the world wouldn't be overpopulated. And Josiah said, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> that's just stupid. Hey, let me just tell you, just a side note. The world is not overpopulated. It will never be overpopulated. As a matter of fact, they have proven you can take every person on the planet, 
put them shoulder to shoulder, and they would all fit on the island of Maui, Hawaii. So overpopulated? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, but the island may capsize. <laughs> so I told Josiah, Joe, don't argue with them. Don't argue with them because when you argue with people that don't think like God, all that happens is you become trained in the way that they think and it becomes a weapon against you. Don't argue with people. Don't argue. And when we are really excellent about the things of God and we know the ways of God, this is one of the things I pray over my sons. I pray, God, that you would help them to love you every day of their life that they would not know one day without you and apart from you. I pray that they will become the men that you want them to become. I pray that my ceiling will become their floor. <laughs> and I pray that they would know your ways, that they may walk with you. These are things I pray over my kids every time. That's what I say. And I pray other things as well. But when we know the ways of God, we walk in His ways. And what the enemy wants to do is to pervert the thinking, to pervert the way we think. Don't argue with people. Don't become educated on all this stuff. I, I've honestly had to practice turning things off. When, when, when I hear on the radio and they're talking about there's like 84 genders and all this stuff now, and, and Facebook, you can have all these different... I mean, I don't want to know any of them. I only know two. It's male, female... It's been good from the beginning. That's the way it's going to be forever. And you can call me a hater. You can call me. I don't hate people. So you can say that. It doesn't even matter to me. I'm to the point to where we speak the truth. And you can call me whatever you want to. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I have to please the Lord. I please the Lord by thinking like Him. So don't argue. Don't get into these foolish discussions. We will never argue people into the mind of Christ. Oh, when you think about this real quick, I don't even know how I got into this. I feel like I should. When you argue a person, you wrestle them into a way of thinking. That's not submission. And the only way to have the mind of Christ is through submission. It's through a choice. So if I have to argue someone into submission to Christ, then I will have to wrestle them from then on and argue them to stay in submission to Christ. But when people choose, it's settled. Like he writes his name on their heart, and it's over. So be careful. The days are evil. There are deceiving spirits. And I know, and I know this to be true, that the deceiving spirits are sent to change the way we think. <clears throat> it's in Daniel, I think it's chapter 7. Maybe it's chapter 10. Anyway. It's talking about the end times. And it says that for time, time and a half time, the enemy will be allowed into the systems and he will rewrite the laws. Literally. It's uh, Daniel 7.25. He will rewrite the laws. And, but then it says, but the court will sit for justice and God will issue decrees. So we're in this time right now where the laws are being rewritten. Why do laws matter to the enemy? Because laws affect the way people think. Thinking affects the culture. Culture entraps people. The kingdom's different. The kingdom doesn't entrap people. Thinking frees people. I was going to read from John 8, verse uh, 32, I guess it is, that says, For you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Knowing the truth will set people free. That's the kingdom's option. Not depreciation, not decay, not strongholds. And I'm, I beg you, I really, don't, please don't let this be another Sunday where it's another sermon. Please let this become something we implement. You know, I was, this week I had this conversation with my brother-in-law and, and we were talking about sermons and, and, and someone was mentioning how, man, they preached a really great sermon. And I, and I just told him, I'm so sick of great sermons. Where are the great men and women? You could get up here and just read the Bible and preach a great sermon. Who cares if you can preach a great sermon? I don't care about that. Can I, can I as a sermon preacher, entice you into change? 
Can I entice you into an encounter? Can I bring you to the water where you drink and taste and see the Lord is good? That's what matters to me. So I'm sick of preaching. I'm sick of teaching. I, I don't care if you ever say, oh, that was a good sermon, a good message. I don't, I really, I don't mean this to be offensive. I really don't care. Will you do it? Will you put it into practice? Because your, your family matters to me. It really does. Being patted on the back is not my reward. My reward is that I see your family grow. That's my reward. That's what makes me feel good. That's what, when I, see, when I coach soccer and I see a kid do something that we, we've been trying to get him to do in the game, that's when I get happy, not when they say, you're such a good coach. I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm doing my job. But when I see a kid, the light comes on, boom, that makes me so happy. I'm jumping up and down on the sidelines because they made the pass. They stopped and they did what I asked them to do. That's what matters to me. And so as a preacher, as a person who does the foolish thing of preaching, will you please put it into practice for your family's sake, for your business sake, for your marriage sake? Will you please be vigilant and take captive every thought? Will you, will you make that commitment? This is our altar. How many of us raise your hand and say, I make that commitment? I am. God, would you stand? Father, we ask that you would help us to have a renewed mind. Teach us to, to submit to the mind of Christ. Teach us to think like you think. We are not wise in ourselves. We have no solutions, God. We have no answers. We have no wisdom of our own. We have to have yours, God. If you will show us, if you will teach us, then we will prosper. If you will show us, if you will teach us, we will see abundance in our life, God. If you will show us, if you will teach us, our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren will know you because of the way you teach us to think. Right now, Father, with our spiritual weapons, would you do this? If you know there's a place, a stronghold of thought, a place that you're, you have fear, a place that the enemy has sown thoughts of depreciation in your life, will you, through your spiritual weapons right now, pull those strongholds down through prayer? All right, just declare it. Father, we come right now and we pull down strongholds. We cast down imaginations about you. We come against lofty things and high thoughts that are against your knowledge. We cast those things down right now, and we get a better thought. We replace those thoughts with your thoughts, God. The key is a this for that. We exchange this for that, God. We exchange your thinking for old thinking. Father, my prayer is that this produces fruit in our lives. My prayer is that this Sunday is not a wasted Sunday. My prayer is that this is an appreciating Sunday that increases value to our lives and we go from glory to glory, God. Don't believe lies. Don't believe lies. The devil's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's been lying from the beginning. Do not believe Him. He is only empowered when we believe Him. But we have the mind of Christ. God, help us to see things differently. Reprogram the thinking in our brains, God. I mean, I ask that you would literally change the pattern of thinking in our minds. Create new connections. Would you just put your head on your hand on your head? <laughs> head on your hand. Either way, it works. <laughs> and just pray that God would cause you to tap in and think with the mind of Christ. Hmm. Help me, God. Think with the mind of Help me not to become lazy. Help me not to become lackadaisical. Help me not to become bored. Help me to be vigilant in pursuing the mind of Christ. Solomon, the wisest man 
He's visited by Jesus in a dream. And Jesus says, I'll give you anything you want. What do you want from me? And what does Solomon ask for? Wisdom. Why did he ask for wisdom? Because when he was just a little boy, the only child in his mother's eyes, he sat on his father's lap. This is Psalm 4. 3 or 4. I sat on my father's lap and he told me, Son, in all of your getting, get wisdom. And all of your gaining, gain understanding. For they will be a crown on your head and will be a shield for you. And then it just goes on about the, the... So when Solomon was little, his father instilled him. Wisdom of God is the key to success. So that when he gets the blank check moment in his dream, the only logical thing to ask for was not for wealth or health or whatever, power. It was to ask for wisdom. And so because he asked for wisdom, God says, I'm going to give you wisdom so that no one ever will be as wise as you. But I'm also going to give you wealth and power and authority and stature. Wisdom matters because when we think like him, we get what he gets. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Put into practice. Do it. Be doers of the word. Everyone say, I'll be a doer. All right. Before you go, if there's someone here with you that you can make a covenant with right now to hold you accountable, I'm going to, Mandy and I do this, but I'm going to renew that covenant. Will you do that before you walk out of the room? Make a covenant. Say, will you help me hold me accountable to my thoughts and my speech? If you want more prayer, we'll be here at the front. We'd love to anoint you with oil. The Lord is a healer.